0: Welcome to series two of the writing Round the kids podcast where we talk to
1: a wide range of women writers who kindly share their experiences and tips. This series is jam-packed with brilliant writers from lots of different genres so there's something for everyone. We hope you enjoy. Hi, this is Writing Around the Kids and I'm Anna. And I'm Sam and today we are delighted to have Victoria Dowd with us. Hi Victoria. Hello, hello, thank you very much for having me on. You're so welcome. So Victoria is the award-winning author of the number one best-selling Smart Woman's Mystery Series. Her debut novel, The Smart Woman's Guide to Murder, won the People's uh, Book Prize for Fiction 2021 and was named In Search of the Classic Mystery Novels Book of the Year 2020. Victoria was awarded the Gothic Fiction Prize for her short fiction and her work has been published in many literary journals. She is also the author of of the Adapting Agatha series, which has seen her speak at many literary festivals, including the International Agatha Christie Festival and this year's Crime Fest. Originally from Yorkshire, she was a criminal defence barrister for many years and is now a board member of the Crime Writers Association and head of the London chapter.
0: Brilliant. Welcome, Victoria. Um, and I believe you're going to be reading from A Book of Murder, is that right? That's right, yes, I am. Yes. Fantastic. So I'll just read the blurb and then over to you. So, okay. 19 guests with secrets to hide. One exclusive party on a private island. An invitation to die for? Ursula Smart and a mother Pandora wrangle an invite to a crime fiction powerhouse, Anthony Lovell's latest book launch. A weekend long bash at his private island home. They're ready for an evening of whining, dining and hobnobbing. But trouble always seems to follow the smart women. Late that night, Ursula is woken by her blood-curdling screams. Anthony is dead. Poisoned by the highlight of the evening feast, the fungu fillet. If prepared incorrectly, this rare Japanese delicacy is deadly. Who killed him? When the accused is put on trial, the smart women are called as witnesses. But Ursula is not convinced the police have the right person is asking questions, asking for trouble. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Okay, over to you, Victoria. <laughs>
2: Thank you very much. So I'm going to cut in sort of halfway through. I've tried to choose something that doesn't give uh, the plot away too much. Oh, of course. And, like, <laughs> and it's at the Crime Writers' Convention. They've arrived. It's hosted by Anthony Lovell on a fort in the Solent. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite an unusual place, and it's his home. And he's the international best-selling author of the Sheridan Lafoy no- novels. So they're kind of golden age detective novels. And the smart women are at the drinks reception having a little look around. um, And he's got lots of different artifacts and memorabilia about the books. So this is chapter 11. Some of the pages of this book are missing. Ah, the infamous Sheridan Lafoy. Bridget was leaning over the glass cabinet and peering in like a jewel thief. Bridget would have have been the kind of kid at school who liked everyone to know that she was reading Proust. Although, I must admit, the idea of Bridget as a child was actually quite a disturbing image. Fortunately, I was rescued from this unsettling thought by Mother's piercing sharp whisper. What the hell do you think you're doing? Are not comforting words, though, especially around my family. Aunt Charlotte had propped open the display case and she was holding the manuscript. Oh, no, 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 no. I held up my hands as though she was holding a loaded gun. You need to put that back right now. I spoke slowly, nodding continuously like a hostage negotiator. I looked around the room quickly. They were all still too preoccupied with impressing and insulting one another to look over here. If they had, though, they would have seen Aunt Charlotte casually leafing through the unbound pages as we watched with horrified eyes. I can't make out a word, she sighed. I should have brought my reading glasses. They never light these places well enough. Put it back, Mother hissed. Now! Nonsense! It's here for people to look at. So's the Turin Shroud, but you don't start trying it on, I whispered. Aunt Charlotte began, the Turin? Jesus, Mother said. Shut up, Charlotte. Mother had reached that point. Just put the bloody thing down and close the lid. Aunt Charlotte looked wounded for a moment and then slowly closed the lid. She was, however, still defiantly holding the manuscript. I need more light. She bent towards the large candelabra, and I think all our hearts stalled. Don't! I burst. There was some murmuring from the room, and Marcus North glanced over with an irritated look that suggested we lesser mortals should not be disturbing him. I smiled sweetly, which instantly did the job of making him look away. None of these writers seemed to like direct eye contact. Aunt Charlotte, I said. Try trying to inject some calm. Please step away from the naked flame with the large bundle of valuable paper. She looked confused and then looked back at her hand as if she'd forgotten the manuscript was there. Oh, oh, of course, silly me! I nodded and gave her wide, encouraging eyes. With a look of sudden realisation, she quickly snatched back the hand holding the large bundle that was too close to the flames. Some of the pages dislodged, and fluttered silently out of the open window next to her. None of us moved. No one spoke. Her hand lingered high in the air, the smile fading moment by moment. I felt one big surge of blood rise up through my chest. I don't know how many pages sailed off into the wind, but it didn't really matter. Even if it was only one, the original, complete manuscript of the first ever Sheridan Lafoy novel, would never be complete again
0: oh don't fantastic don't. yeah well <laughs> thank you victoria
2: um, i'm pleasure. really
0: interested to find out with writing a series so with the smart women's mystery series what was the inspiration behind writing a series and did you always know it was going to be a series oh well i should probably say yes but i didn't um <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to write,
2: i have written a few books before, you know, and then, but I've always loved golden age detective novels and Agatha Christie and all that sort of thing. And I thought, you know, I really want to have a go at doing one myself. And when I went to um, the publishers, that one of their first questions was, is this a series? Mm-hmm. And they were really excited about it. So, of course, I said, oh, yes. It's always been a series. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I can write as many as you like.
0: <laughs> and was that, is the process different then with the, a series than getting to know your characters throughout several books than if you're approaching, when you were saying that you've written books beforehand, if you're writing something and it it was a a standalone novel, is it a different process?
2: Very much so, yes, very much so. I mean, it gives you a lot more scope with their their actual story arc of those characters. Um, Because, you know, rather than having to squash it all into one book, I can see their futures and where they're going with them. And change them, and have a lot more um, scope for taking each story on as well, and how they grow with each other. Mm-hmm. So, in the first book, um, Ursula Smart is the you know the quite unreliable narrator, and she has a very very spiky relationship with her mother.
1: Yeah,
2: and they kind of rip off each other all the time. But I've been able to, with a series, take that and show the readers why they have that kind of relationship mm-hmm. and actually that they've got a very deep bond with each other. And on the surface, which you really just get in the first book, um, it might seem that they don't get on at all, but actually they're incredibly close. And I've been able to develop that as the series has gone on.
0: You must feel so invested in your characters then. I do, I do. I've.
2: Yeah. And I know how they would speak in any, it's bizarre. It's kind of how you know how they are going to react in any situation and how they would speak. And often I would think, oh no, she wouldn't say that. And you never forget them in the room. So you know who's there and who's not there. And I did um, kill off one of them. Um, in one of the books and I think a lot of people have got quite invested in their own in the, which one they like best yeah. and I got a lot of bad messages about <laughs> that one one of which was that uh, you evil woman oh, wow. <laughs> but it must have so hurt you you're... as much as it
1: hurt the reader I
2: guess yeah, yeah. it does but I think you know I, I in kind of writing these who done it. I, I think because they, they're they so close to death and murder all the time there has to be a sense of jeopardy yeah. and if you think they're just going to walk in a room and come out alive every time and it's fine and in these terrible situations you kind of lose that I think so I, I need the reader to think that, that is there a possibility these people might not all make it out alive
1: yeah, yeah I like that because um, you know when you're as I am at the moment, watching a million Marvel films with my children, you know, you know, <laughs> the outcome is is always going to be that they win, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah, It's yeah. good. Jeopardy is good for sure. Um, so, have you got um, many more ideas for this series, kind of as a, on a as an ongoing? I have. I'm writing
2: the the fifth one at the moment, um, and again with being able to take the characters much further and and move them on. And a character's come back from a previous book and there's a relationship happening between Ursula as well. Ursula's actually going to get, well, it's off to her wedding in this particular one. And so, you know, just the thought of having the smart women and a wedding and yeah. her controlling, difficult mother. What could possibly and- go
1: wrong? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they
2: decide to have it in a really kind of wilderness location uh-huh. because they don't want too much press. Because also, as the series has gone on, I've had to think about why these women would always be in a situation where someone's getting murdered. Yeah. Um, and she started a blog um, called Death marks and and it's got her a lot of fans, so she's actually writing about the true crime that they're involved in. so that you know transports them to places, but and it's made them quite infamous inside the world of the book as well.
1: Um, so I remember that um, when we had you on a panel that you were telling us about um, like your murder boards that you have when when you're working so uh, when you get to the end of one book and you're starting the next one does it do you feel sad about kind of bringing that board down or it just excited the next one? No, I feel absolute, absolute joyous <laughs> absolute <laughs>
2: joyous relief that it's over and it's gone. I think, if, you know, you, you presumably know as well from, from writing that, you know, by the time you've had all the rounds and rounds yeah. of edits and it gets to that final one, I think they actually have the idea that once the author actually hates the book so much they can never see it again, Then it's ready. That's the point <laughs> yeah. at which it's publishable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I love that moment where I can clear the whole board and I put it all into a box and I just stand there looking at a blank board. It's, it's joyous. I love that moment.
0: <laughs> and with your process as well, Sam's mentioned when we had you on one of our panels, you'd also talked about your the Lego that you use as as a research method. I wondered if you'd mind explaining for our listeners what that is.
2: Yes, of course. So, I mean, my third book, The Supper Club Murders, um, it's a safari supper club, which I think most people know what that is. But basically, you go, your whole party moves from house to house for each course. And it's set in um, a small village on Dartmoor, and obviously, you know, very isolated. And I've been on one of these myself.
0: My and it was mum in the used to do them when she was a member as a child. Was, yeah. a, in the village it was a it was a big thing with the safari suppers.
2: It yeah. And I think they've had a bit of a resurgence yeah. recently. And I went on one and, and it was so dark and you know nobody and people kept dropping in and coming back or people would join at different moments. And I never quite knew who was with us at what point. And I thought this is absolutely brilliant for a murder mystery because it will confuse the the reader enormously who was there at what point. But obviously in writing it, I started to get confused myself and thinking, oh no, that person had stopped back there. And I couldn't work out where everybody was in each chapter and who would have heard what, who would have seen what, and also, you know, who could be speaking in a particular room. You don't want someone standing there and being silent the whole time. So my son... Is a huge fan of Lego, and he built the whole village for me out of Lego. Oh, and how each your character. Son? Yeah, he's he's eleven now, oh, but wonderful. this was during lockdown, so it was quite a nice little lockdown little project. project yeah, and um, each character had a minifigure, and I got to the point where I'm like, no, I think this person looks more like this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: choosing a minifigure, so there are actually the smart women in in minifigure in Lego. Um, the only problem I would have, though, is that my son would sometimes look at the board and go and borrow a person and oh substitute no. them with someone else. Like Chewbacca would appear in the morning when I was. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, like, who the hell is this? What's this person doing here? Oh my God. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun and very, very useful. I quite like doing, you know, having a physical yeah. object
1: helps quite a lot, I yeah. find. That's just wonderful. Yeah, I remember loving it as an idea when you were talking about it before, but then, it, you know, it because compl- I am quite a visual learner as well, so I think that, mm. um, yeah, I n- need to remember this.
2: Yeah, I kind of do it as well when I have a locked room.
1: Yeah.
2: And I I, I build the little model of it so that I know that it works, basically,
1: yeah.
2: um, and where the hole might be but in the plot, basically.
1: And um so I guess your you you know, your murder boards so that is you planning out the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so where do you get your inspiration from to, to start your murder board for the next book?
2: Basically it's it's often um the puzzle at the the heart of the book, basically. Because they're kind of impossible crimes and locked room mysteries, mm-hmm. I'll have an idea for the, the trick of it at the centre of the book Um, so for instance with the one that I'm writing at the moment it's it's a locked lake mystery so where they are in the world um, is um, freezing and the lake has frozen over but the actual dead body they discover is below the ice but it's actually somebody who's travelled out there with them so how did the body get under a meters worth of ice that's been forming for a month when they've only just arrived and that that the, the the nub of the book yeah. is where I start how and everything spreads out from that particular point how do I get to that point yeah. um and all the sort of sub characters and how they feed into that and also of course all the red herrings so how am I going to hide it in plain sight mm-hmm. What they've done and who the murderer is. And, and do you I, know I what of,
0: the answer is to these things? So, like with the person who's yeah. underneath the ice, have you? Do you know what's happened, or do you set yourself yeah. a challenge like an escape room?
2: No, I know what's happened. Okay. Exactly what's happened, <laughs> and I kind of have that end point of the denouement at yeah. the end. Um, that you know every all the roads have to lead to that point, and every tiny little plot point have to feed in at some point and I have to hide it, basically. Yeah, so the reader will go, at the end, the aim is that they go, oh, God, of course it is. (laughs) How did that not occur to me that it was that person? Um, Which is, yeah, where I basically, it all ends
0: up, hopefully. (laughs) And how much of your criminal barrister training comes into play with your writing? Quite a lot, actually. So for book four,
2: A Book of Murder... It begins in a courtroom, uh. and you have the person who committed the crime or supposedly committed the crime is standing trial for the murder. So, I had to relearn a few things actually because I've not done it for a few years, and you know it's a bit more tech as well these days. And I did say, "Oh God, would they be handing out a bundle of papers?" Mm-hmm. But of course, I know the the environment, the structure of the case, and often with writing a book, I find that it's very much like the structure of a trial um, cuz you you know you have the various points that have to be fulfilled and the beats that have to happen in the book and getting to basically the final speech to yeah. the jury um in you know here is your
0: closing your argument answer. yeah yeah brilliant so i just think with your so With your day, like what do you, how do you um,
1: structure your day as a writer? What does it look like? Are you and are you writing full time?
2: I am, yeah, and I'm I'm quite strict with myself as well. I find that you know I'm not really the sort of person who can lounge around and have an occasional idea, and that sort. I have to work really hard, you know. Um, So after I've dropped the kids at school, I come back, get a coffee, and I start work at about nine o'clock. I will have a sneaky look at social media just to sort of ease myself in, but I'm very strict about that. Otherwise, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole oh, there yes. and, and and lose a few hours. But I, I always find that, you know, obviously with having children, you have to treat those moments when I'm in the house on my own, when it's peace and quiet and I don't have to do anything else other than, like, I have to use those hours and not be distracted by doing anything else at all. And I'll basically sit at my desk from nine until about three o'clock in the afternoon um, when I have to go pick the kids up.
1: Yeah. And I think you've said before that you wear earplugs when you're at your desk. I do.
2: I do. Was was that just about
1: lockdown or was that just all the time?
2: It was all the time, actually, because the the amount of ambient noise there is mm -hmm. in the world is huge. You know, you've got dogs barking or there's always somebody having a bit of building work done. And, And I find that, you know, you've got this voice in your head all the time that can get drowned out a little bit by... You know, I don't know next door's radio or, or anything like that. So I'd love to be someone who could work with music mm. playing in the background because I think that can be really inspirational. But I just can't do it. I've tried and I can't focus. I get I get very
0: easily distracted. I'm yeah. afraid. <laughs> well, it's interesting because quite a lot of other writers like are, are the polar opposite, aren't they? That they work in cafes yeah. and need that yeah, like kind of ambient that. noise yeah. to be able to to concentrate. So yeah, with your with yeah having to have absolute silence that's a that's a a real discipline in itself it is and it's quite difficult to find
2: in the world you wouldn't believe how difficult it is to find so yeah I'm quite an earplugs user I'm afraid because
1: I'm not I can't I can't work with music on but I like having something so I have like noise cancelling headphones but then listen to like cafe sounds so I've got like the chatter yeah
2: (laughs) oh my goodness that's fantastic I'd love to do that I see see authors you know proper authors sitting around in in cafes writing authors. Love you're write. a proper author Victoria <laughs> <laughs> I just have to sit here in my little hurt locker just you know silence
0: and <laughs> I know, think I'm hugely mad. impressed by that because I find I, I work better in cafes because well it's mm. partly because I can't do anything other than what I'm there to do you know if I turn mm. off the internet and then I'm just writing because if I'm at home it's so distracting that you look around thinking like oh God, those windows are absolutely filthy, or I've yeah, just emptied no. the dishwasher and then...
2: Yeah, I actually now have started to see things like that as a treat. Yeah, You know, yeah. thinking when I get to the end of my writing day, I can go and do things like, you know... Well, treat myself to a
0: bit of tidying. <laughs> <laughs> and do you find that with that time, so you're sitting there from... You know, you drop the kids off. You're sitting at your desk. you've Got your your earplugs in. you there. You've got your coffee there from nine till three. Are you writing the whole time? Or yeah, so you are. So you don't ever have those moments of thinking, "Shit, what comes next?" You you know what your day's going to what you're going to produce that day.
2: I do, yes, yeah, very much so because I will have planned it out quite yeah. Well, not not hugely meticulously, but I know where the story is going and each chap, you know, obviously a new chapter arises and you think, oh, actually, I could take this off down here. Let's see how that goes. And I think like most writers, I'd say a third to maybe even half of what I write ends up in the bin mm. and never used, you know, and you just think, oh, God, that doesn't work at all. That's rubbish. That'll have to go. But I always find if I get something on the paper and it's there, you know, it, it's not going to happen if I don't put something there, if you see what I mean. I, you know, if I do 2,000 words in a day and only 100 survive, I wouldn't have done any if I just sat around thinking yeah, about yeah. those 100.
1: So what, what is the part of the whole process that you find uh, difficult or the, or the most difficult, most challenging?
2: The most challenging part, I would say, is the bit that I'm at at the moment, Um although I've had a bit of a breakthrough, I think it's when you're at about 30,000 words Mm. and it makes no, you just, how is this ever going to be a book? But 80,000 words, I've got no, nothing left in the engine, you know, and you're reading through and I've got things like placeholder names. I don't even like the names of some of the characters and parts are just not working and, you know, nice little bits of dialogue haven't quite arrived. Mm -hmm. And, that I find that bit just where you just say, I can't remember how to write a book, really. What's happened? <laughs> but it's a real of, thing I, as well, isn't yeah. it? There's 30,000
0: oh, words that, you, that oh, kind of crisis point.
2: It is a proper crisis point. That I, I think I'm just about getting through. And what I did to get through it this time was write the ending. Yeah. So that I, I got it there inside. Because I thought this just doesn't work. I just yeah. don't see how this is going to work at all. And I thought, okay, so with the sort of books I write, there's an explanation at the end, however that happens. And I can switch around how that happens a bit. But if I just write that last chapter of the explanation of how it happened and draw together all the threads, it sort of has made it make more sense. And it's also made it feel like, you know, there's more than 30,000 words in it.
0: (laughs) Yes, I think I'm at the point with what I'm writing at the moment that I um, I keep looking at the word count probably oh. about 75 times a day.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to, sometimes I even have to, I've got a little um, sewing thing on my desk. Not that I do any sewing really, but, um, and I've covered it up, the bit on the screen where the word count is yeah, exactly. so I can surprise myself at the end of the day and then go, Oh, God, that felt like it was like 10,000 words, actually, about 10.
0: (laughs) What do you read for pleasure? Do you read in the genre that you write, or do you read other stuff?
2: Uh, Both, actually. I do love a good murder mystery, um, and I do reread them, um, presumably because, you know, I've got such a bad... Memory that you know, I forget who's done it anyway. <laughs> so, I think that's a hard relate from this end as well. Yeah. From a <laughs>
1: but, but also, you then, you, when you're rereading it, then you notice different clues, don't you? That you didn't, yeah, I love that, time. yeah,
2: yeah, I do love doing that. And I'm always discovering new, um, golden age detective mm. writers because there were so many and a lot have been lost. You know, the British Library are publishing these ones from authors who have been lost through time. Um, so, I love reading those sorts of things, but I also quite like reading um, ghost stories, um, scary sort of stories, um, really kind of gothic fiction. I like that quite a lot as well because I do have a ghost in my books um, and there is a supernatural element to it. And I think, again, with the Jeopardy idea, I do want readers to be scared. And so, I do like reading things like Susan Hill um, and, you know, all that kind of very strong gothic fiction yeah
1: Mm -hmm. brilliant so we've um we've covered a lot of ground there I think you've been like you're just yeah I really I just love how your brain works I can listen (laughs) to you talk about your process forever but um just so a lot of our listeners are kind of new writers or people getting into writing what would your advice to them be or what do you wish someone had told you um as you were starting out
2: just keep going it will happen if you just keep going I mean I mean, like many writers, I've got books in the bottom drawer that never made it, yeah. came really close, you know, went for full readings and full manuscripts again and again. And, you know, you have to know when to let them go yeah. as well. Um, but just keep going is my advice. I, you know, it took me a long time to get a publishing deal. I think it does for many people. But it will happen if you want it enough. And just keep going mm. would be my and even now, just keep going is my mantra when yes. I'm at my 30,000 words moment thinking, oh, God, Absolutely. just
0: keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Victoria. And what a positive message to end on as well. Um, so for people who are listening who would like to get hold of you, read your books, how can they do that? What are your kind of social media handles and so on?
2: So I'm Victoria Dow- Dowd on Twitter. Well, Victoria underscore Dowd on Twitter, and you can find me there. I have a website which is victoriadowd.com. dot com, and I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and all over, really. As I think everybody has to be yeah. an author
1: these days, you know. <laughs> Although, as you said, you are very disciplined about it. So
0: I know are I, don't I, I am. Very I, am. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, um, I do try very hard not to, you know.
2: It's fun though. I mean I just seen some article about, you know, Demi Moore and thought I could sit all day reading about this. (laughs) No, no, no
1: I was—I fell down a rabbit hole because someone uh, on Twitter there was a shout out for um, your favorite—the favorite book you've read in the last five years—and so then I was there for ages, like adding them all to my Goodreads, and yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. There's always something that needs doing.
0: A job like that, okay. <laughs> reorganising my study—yes, <laughs> always a good thing to do. Oh, yeah, okay, Tori, thank, thank, thank you, you so much. much. It's been a total pleasure talking to you. Oh, it's and been thank- lovely. Again, thank you for sharing your reading as well and um, for those uh, Victoria Dowd fans out there, carry on list- like, there sounds like there's at least another one, maybe several still to come in the pipeline <laughs> Thank you very much for having me on, it's been lovely bye.
2: Thanks Victoria, bye. Bye. bye Thank you, bye
1: We hope you found some inspiration in that chat For more writing resources, go to our website, writingaroundthekids.co.uk, where you'll find tips, prompts and links to our social media. And don't forget, you can still catch up on all the fab episodes from Series 1.